0: Welcome to Season 8 of Movies and Tea. I'm your host, always Edward Jones, and joining me, of course, is my co host, Miss Kim Hello. Tonight, on season, as I said, we are kicking off season 8 and taking a break once again from my usual format of director filmography breakdowns, as we've instead decided to indulge our love of the creature feature, or more precisely, the natural horror movie. As uh, regular listeners will know that every season we celebrate with a shark movie, and we thought, wow, there's so many other animal attack movies out there that we just don't get to cover because they don't fall under the shark movie bracket. So why don't we just sit down and put together a whole... History of the natural horror movie or the creature feature depending on uh, which school of thought you belong to and That's exactly what we've done so over the course of this season we are going to be Taking a look at the history of these movies as we chart them from tonight's film, which is the 1954 B-movie classic them um, Right through to present day over the course of the films that we selected for this season but um, Kim, I mean, for yourself, what is the appeal of the creature feature, or again, natural horror, but we're just going to call creature feature for argument's sake now, so...
1: I've always liked creature features. I I, th- I, think that, you know, they're they're just fun movies to watch. Like, there's a little bit of tension, and then sometimes, like, you know, there's a little bit of fun, it's a bit of... Like, a lot of films are a bit campy, and... Um, I don't know, I just think they're really, they're very enjoyable, especially once you bring in all types of, like, different animals and whatnot, it, it really brings up this whole, I don't know, this whole different appeal, I guess, because every, Mm. every creature that is getting you is going to be different, whether it's a spider, or in this case, you know, giant ants, or when we talk about the most basic is sharks, or alligators, or, um, you know that sort of thing like anything like that you you can you know the the sky is the imagination at this point right there's so many animals that haven't been used and i guess i mean if you want a variety that would be like zoo as a tv series would bring you like a ton of different animals
0: <laughs> yeah
1: but you know i'm still gonna when... watch
0: that i only ever watched the first ever episodes and then, then <laughs> i to stop watching for whatever reason so
1: yeah, no, the, the show is pretty good, I think. Um, by the time you get to, they really, like, build a good foundation by, in the first season. And uh, uh, once you get into the second season, that's when, you know, you really feel like the characters are established and um, the scenario established. And then the situation gets a little bit more dire type of thing. Yeah. So it's fairly it's fairly good. I mean, a lot of the, I think a lot of the characters that are actually, like, a lot of the actor, the cast are actually gotten to, I've seen them in other things let's just put it that way <laughs>
0: yeah well definitely i mean with the creature feature it does tap into that sort of primal fear really because we're very sort of like to think we ourselves sit very sort of comfortable on top of the food chain and then we obviously hear look at nature and how horrific it is and then the creature feature just essentially makes it somehow even more horrific by just like really sort of tapping into that fu- primal fear of like these things that um That we fear in everyday life, what if they were intentionally going after us? And often we see them, like the visions of these creatures being twisted, and certainly the case of tonight's movie. I mean, the ants in this one obviously being grown to supersize because of nuclear testing in the Nevada desert. With the history of these movies, I mean, we could obviously go all the way back to like the original King Kong movies and like The Lost World. Uh, but we decided to start with 1954's Them, um, a black and white sci-fi monster movie. And really the first of the nuclear monster movies. Through From this, we obviously saw things like Tarantula. We saw things like the giant leeches. Um, there was all kinds of weird and wonderful sort of... Uh, monsters being grown to supersize and then feeding on the local population that sort of followed in its wake and them for whatever reason always was one of those movies that sort of stuck with me and I think because it's one of those B movies that manages to rise above uh, what many people expected of it because I mean this is a movie about giant ants that (laughs) steal sugar but if you're not obviously aware of the film already as I said this was uh, released in 1954 and sees a young girl being discovered in the desert and she's in basically in shock and she's kind she can't talk and when she does all she can scream is them and while investigating the an FBI j- agent named Ellison basically discovers that the ants have grown to supersize because of the nuclear testing in the area and not only that they're also somehow migrated into the la storm drains as we build to the flamethrower clad finale of this movie but the film itself um was directed by jo- gordon douglas who had a career which spanned really five decades i mean it's a career which runs all the way from 1935 with the Inferno Triangle and Lucky Beginners and goes right through until 1977 with Viva Knievel with his last game also including the, his amongst his last films including The Detective with Frank Sinatra which would of course be the uh, prequel in many ways to uh, Die Hard. Snatch even under his contract because he did the detective had to legally be offered the role of John McClane in Die Hard, even though he was really pushing it in the um the age stakes when they decided to go make that movie. So with uh, them, it's as I said, it's a giant ant B movie, but at the same time, it's got a lot of charm to it. It was also going to be like one of the first films shot in 3D, but the rigs never worked. So. There's elements of 3D in it, which uh, don't make a huge amount of sense because it would never release on 3D. But I think, despite these uh, issues, um, it's still a film that manages to rise well above its rather campy plot. But um, what do you think of this one, Kim? Um...
1: I mean, it it is a really good. Uh, I I personally thought it was really fun to watch. Uh, put aside the black and white, and put aside the the giant ants and the quirky <laughs> the campy <laughs> effects because of you know obviously age um it's it still you know i actually thought the ants were too scary they were more cute <laughs> they look so fuzzy and adorable um <laughs> uh, you uh, know blame
0: from <laughs> <him> to death
1: <laughs> <laughs> for an ant movie it sounds you know when you talk about giant ants it sounds so preposterous because no one expects ants to be dangerous or whatnot and in reality the ants here aren't exactly, you know, they are dangerous because, you know, they they will inject you with formic acid and that's how it kills. It's a uh, it's it's prey in this one. But I think it, it it's such a it's so interesting to watch how they're fighting them and tracking them down and <laughs> it's just by like, you know, all the little points they have of oh, how do you find the next nest and the unusual events of of like what are being reported of you know missing persons and missing sugar and sweets and stuff like that <laughs> and you just find it so funny because you're tracking these, these, animal, these, these insects basically that you never expect to be you know they're more if anything ants are kind of pests because if they're too many or if they enter your house or whatever then it becomes a problem but most days we don't sit around thinking ants are going to come and kill us, you know?
0: (laughs) No, ants are just more a scourge of a picnic than a sort of something that we sort of fear for in uh, our day-to-day life. I mean, especially over where we are obviously uh, based because we don't have to worry about like bull ants, Um, like in Africa where they, you have like these killer ants whose bite's like worse than a bullet wound and stuff we just have like just standard black ants which are just as I said just a pain in the ass but not something that um, can really sort of stand up to like a magnifying glass or a kettle which um, obviously isn't going to be much use on these guys because they're like gigantic because as we all know in the 1950s radiation makes everything a lot bigger <laughs> that's all you need to know if there's radiation involved it's going to make everything supersized that's The general consensus from these movies, to like Tarantula, to Godzilla, it's all explained away with nuclear radiation. Because that was our grasp on nuclear testing.
1: But I mean, when you think about the movie, it's pretty good because it it, it is set in... They do move around. So you do have that big initial setting of being in the the New Mexico desert. um, And then it moves forward to... um, and move forward afterwards as they as they follow they track the ants migrating to yeah. the um, to the L.A. storm drains and I think that you know the contrast of the two areas is pretty nice too. I think the ending is is a bit quick like it just it's, it, hmm. the ending is is wrapped up pretty fast. But I mean it, it's also pretty good because the ants themselves don't really. Have a lot of tricks up their sleeves, you know. It's not like you know shark movies or whatever, where oh, they're they're gonna pop out of nowhere, you know. These guys are super loud. They have like this call, and then you know where they are, and you know. <laughs> so they're not exactly like um, sly creatures. You kind of have an idea of where they are, and um, and and that, and I think you know that that's where it, it more most of the movie I think is spent on tracking them than anything, and. Uh, just talking to the people and but it still keeps a pretty good pacing
0: yeah I mean the noise that these ants make is the, um, basically the call of bird voice tree frogs and they mixed in with some that some just like uh, general bird sounds like the wood thrush the hooded yeah. warbler and the red bedded woodpecker uh, thank you Wikipedia for that one I'm not sitting there like going oh that's a warbler <laughs> <laughs> But it's 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 really grating. I have to say this this high pitch uh, sort of ringing that uh, they use as the ants sort of calling, um, which despite being like these huge ants, nobody apparently can like see them, like well, they're just always somehow hiding behind a, a giant sand dune or something. Um, but yeah, it, it's I mean it's an interesting. An interesting take and certainly when we get the big reveal of like the ant coming over the sand dune it's pretty it's pretty exciting um especially because you know we're here with a group of who are just all about act- leaping into action at any given note any given moment and there's none of this usual cliches that we have with like movies of this period where you have like forced love stories and the female characters sort of damsels into distress and we Get none of that here. There's just like people would like, oh, there's giant tan. Let's gun it down. <laughs> <laughs> and we have like one, we have Joan uh, Widden as uh, Dr. Pat Medford, who I think the worst that happens is the fact that you have a couple of uh, characters making like the usual sexist remark of, oh, I wish I got sick so she could look after me. <laughs> <laughs> but thank- frankly, she's not, she's uh, there to contribute more than just for be someone for guys to hit on. So, yeah. And we also get Edmund Gwynn as uh, the bumbling Harold Medford, um, her father, who's provides a lot of the comedic moments of this film. As he's, There's a great moment where they're trying to get him to use the radio and he's all like, well, why do I have to do it this way? <laughs> they know who I am.
1: <laughs> they know I'm done talking. You know, why? <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, exactly. And he also provides that wonderful 10 minutes of natural history filler because we need to move from one location to the other. But, We haven't got a lot of budget to do it, so we get a 10-minute history lesson on how ants work. But, uh, yeah, I I totally agree with you what you are saying about the transition between locations. Because, obviously, in the desert, we go into, like, the ant um, tunnels, which is fun. And then we go into the urban uh, setting, and, obviously, they're using the storm drains like the new ant tunnels, which is, I thought, a really good... A good switch up, rather than them just doing more tunnels in in LA that we use the storm trains because aesthetically it just looks really cool, and especially when you throw in the element of the fact that you have got the army pursuing them with like flamethrowers, it just makes it just this perfect finale. And you throw in the two stupid kids that have somehow wandered into the storm train for whatever reason—I don't know why.
1: Well, no, I mean their their father got attacked, so <laughs> their father got attacked, and then they ran into high. That's, that's that's that's, that's okay. the basic concept of what happened. Um, I
0: just must have blanked out because I heard stupid kids. (laughs) It's like always in the way. It's like we had all this plan just to like pour gasoline into the sewers. It's like no, you got to go in and rescue these kids now.
1: (laughs) (laughs) But you know, talking about the migration part, there was one part that I thought was pretty interesting, and and I don't know if they meant to do it in some way, or maybe at least my mind kind of wandered to that. Um, was when they were talk when they were kind of charting the stuff, and then they had that freighter in Pacific Ocean, and it was like heading towards Asia or something. <laughs> and I okay. thought it was so funny because I was like, these these are winged ants because they're they're queens. So yes. so you think about it, and I was like, wow, these are giant giant whatever. Is, are they trying to give a nod to you know it Mothra? Is that the name?
0: Yeah, the giant moth. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Uh, this actually came before Mothra. I mean, this is so maybe Mothra took inspiration from them in many ways. Cause, I mean, obviously Godzilla came is around this sort of period. I mean, a couple of years before this, you had the beast from Ten Thousand from Twenty Thousand Fathoms, which obviously provides a big inspiration for Godzilla, um, and also like um, a film that inspired them to shoot this on widescreen, but it was never actually shown anywhere in widescreen, so that was a waste of time as well. Um, although it's interesting when you watch the dvd release they've actually cleaned up some of the footage to like hide some of the goofs where you see like you see like uh, the mechanical workings of some of the ants um this is like one of those because normally when you watch anything like dvd and certainly blu-ray you end up noticing all the things that, like VHS, gives you a bit of leeway with, gives you that bit of blaring. <laughs> so you, all the wires and stuff that you normally see on, like, when you get a nice Blu-ray release. Um, with them, it's probably one of those rare occasions where they've corrected the film to hide the goofs. So.
1: Oh okay okay, I don't know. I watched a digital version, so it wasn't there Yeah. I mean, I didn't feel like there was anything to obvious in terms of mechanical but i mean i wasn't really looking for it either because i feel like when you watch movies now and you watch like especially like creature features and stuff like that you really need to be a little bit more forgiving because back then technology is not like now (laughs) and it's not in cgi so you a lot of this thing is is given as long as it looks kind of like it and kind of acts kind of like it i think then then you know basically (laughs) it's passable it's it's believable enough to too, you know i mean yeah. you're talking about giant ants you know you <laughs> and you have to believe that radiation makes everything bigger so <laughs> it, it's already it is it's already like a stretch of imagination in many ways
0: <laughs> uh, yeah i mean i love the ant effects in this they're very charming um especially this sort of sort of period i mean they don't do much they sort of like lumber forward and occasionally they grab somebody so there's a lot of like heavy lifting carried by the by the human cast here to sort of like really sort of sell the idea that they're this fret rather than just as you put it adorable ants I have to say on the poster they look a lot more threatening because you've got the cat eyes but they got just the normal eyes when you see them in the film so <laughs> but no but the actual th- the characters uh, and that I mean how did you find the the sort of cast here I mean because I it seems that everyone sort of has a role for a change rather than just being in it to fulfill a criteria, you know, as in the love interest, the bumbling professor. Everyone seemed to bring something to this operation, which I liked, even though the professor's a bit um, a bit all over the place, shall we say? A little shell-shocked. It, it's just amusing. It amused me when they go out into the desert and they got the goggles and he's got them around his neck and he, he's like, oh, yeah, you got to put them over your eyes. And then he's like, oh, wow, that's so much better. I'm thinking, we really want to question your credentials if you don't know how goggles work and you're a professor.
1: so he's an old-fashioned professor he didn't have goggles back then i would have said i I
0: guess
1: (laughs) or it's to show his age right because the daughter keeps emphasizing on you know his age and he can't do certain things and that sort of stuff Mm. and that's why you know she insists on doing a lot of this stuff because she has the um the the professional criteria to 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 be able to help them get through that. And, and you know, obviously, in these types of situations, you always have the FBI agent who... You always have some agent who is really just, you know... And in this case, the FBI agent who, who likes... Who has a fancy to her. <laughs> and is always by her side. Like, always. <laughs>
0: <laughs> of course, in case she might need something. Um, it's not as bad as, like, when you look at It Came From uh, Beneath the Sea, where you've got, like... The two guys who are basically constantly either side of uh, the one female leads. And it's all like this weird threesome that's constantly going on. It's like, we couldn't draft in another female actor for you guys. It's, yeah. Or maybe just like. Not try and hump over the femo femo cast member. <laughs> no, but I mean, um, I mean,
1: it, it it is though. I mean, like in in this case, it it actually is done really smoothly because you do like kind of see the connection that these two are having throughout the movie because it is set over you know I think like over a few months between like them yeah. tracking it from one location to the next. But it's not like the romance is not the central focus, and it's not even it's only like hinted at um through a bit of their actions and a bit of their interactions but a lot of it is still very professional it's very you know like down to business on getting the stuff done and and that's it and and i kind of like that because you know they're really focused on the film itself being like the story itself of these ants and this being the main thing that they're trying to attack and you know in, in some ways i actually find it kind of funny is um is when they had to do the whole press conference. And I thought it was so funny because I was like, I wonder what press would do <laughs> when you start telling them. Yeah, we have a crisis. Um, we're setting in martial law, you know, for the for the city because of this. And it's because of giant ants.
0: <laughs> well, did you see that Sounds the so board good. there um, that they have in the press office? And it's sort of like the things they're supposed to be looking out for. And it's like flying saucers, unusual smells. Yeah. <laughs> it's like... <laughs> Wasn't a sort of person of a on unusual smells, but yeah, I wish I'd screenshotted that uh, particular book because it just amused <laughs> me so much when I saw that, um, and the fact that they have a stamp for un- unidentified flying object.
1: I know, it, it... And, and it's so great because I love I love that part where. There, there's this guy who witnesses the stuff, and he gets sent to the loony bin, and then and then you go, <laughs> and then you they go in, have a chat with him, and then they kind of just like, yeah, keep him in there. We don't want him talking. <laughs> <laughs> um,
0: James Whitmore, who plays the police sergeant in this, um, actually wore lifts in his shoes to compensate between the hype scene himself and James Harness. He also would employ bits of. Business where he would basically do various hand gestures and motions during the scenes he appeared just so he could draw more attention to his character when he wasn't speaking. This film is also noteworthy for the use of the Wilhelm scream, which is that sort of high pitched scream you normally hear when characters like fall or yeah. get attacked. Um, and that had only been introduced three years earlier um, in the film Distant Drums. Uh, it was used during the action sequence, and here we see the scene where the sailor on the freighter is grabbed by the ant. Uh, when Whitmore's character is also grabbed by the ant's mandibles as well, we also hear it there as well. So, I love hearing that scream whenever it appears, and it's just so funny to think that like it goes all the way back to like 1950, and we're still using the same sound effect like all these years later. But it's like uh, canned laughter. The fact that you think those audiences are now dead—that's the laughter of dead people. So I mean, I no was glad. I was no glad that you enjoyed this. So I wasn't sure which way it was going to go because you, you think, "God, this is bloody unbearable and stupid," or you enjoy it. Because I did say to you, like, when we're going to do this, this is like the perfect movie for like a rainy Sunday afternoon for myself. This is, and it's... it was
1: a rainy Sunday afternoon <laughs> I watched. It, it. worked
0: yeah. out great then. <laughs> Yeah, it's uh, it's. uh, I mean it does say it's real quick because obviously it's a a 1950s movie. They didn't really make, them make epics back then. Cause, you know, people had other stuff to do. So the 94 minutes is really brief and it never overstays its welcome or creates itself bogged down with unnecessary plots in which a lot of these movies do. They normally have some stupid B-plot that's going on or a very ropey monster that will often fail to live up to the promise of the, the amazing posters. um so i think this is like one of the few occasions where the poster is just about right for this movie it's not uh, promising anything; it doesn't really deliver so
1: yeah for sure i mean there's the movie itself is, is i think that's the main thing i think you really nailed it there is it really doesn't waste its time on anything else it really just focuses on what's what's the plot here the ants um how to get rid of them, how to track them. And in between, it's also really fun because, you know, you don't really think it's very scary overall, and they embrace it by adding a lot of extra humor into it. So little bits of humor here and there. And that keeps it pretty engaging and, you know, pretty pretty lighthearted overall. I actually think, you know as a creature feature, this is this is probably the least scary experience that I've had. But then, you know, but then you think about it, and, you know, if it was technology right now, or the minds of right now, how would they do a giant ant movie, right? Uh, maybe it exists out there, but I don't know. You know, I don't sit around exp- like, looking up, you know, indie creature features every day. Uh, but, but I mean, I, I sometimes think about that on, like, what other things people can come up with that is that is seems basically harmless but add a sense of danger to it (laughs) so
0: yeah i know what you mean it's the problem is that we've now gone the opposite direction i mean obviously with with this film it's all practical um effects so the, these creatures have got a real sort of presence to them. Yes, they might not be the scariest of, of creatures. It has to be said, but at the same time, there's a real charm to them. And if you look at now, where well, we've got like lava tarantula or any of the numerous uh, sharp movies that the asylum put out, and it's all that horrible CGI, and you just kind of long for just to see uh, see something with the presence that this film has. So. But um, yeah, I, again, I just think the film has a lot of charm. It's obviously it's got its downfalls because of time having passed on, but I think the actual the plotting of the film is uh, solid enough just to still make it a fun time. So, um, but uh, if you want to watch more killer ant movies, there are actually quite a few uh, released the same year. You got the Naked Jungle, which featured um, army ants threatening a plantation. They're not giant, but you know. They got superior numbers on their side then in 74 you've got um, phase 4 which is about super intelligent ants being made gaining intelligence through atomic rays and then plot to take over the world um, and that then leads us into Empire of the ants which is not smart ants, but just really giant mutated ants uh, in 77 and also that year we also had it happened at Lakewood Manor as well which features killer ants so Surprisingly, they have uh, clocked in a few appearances on the the uh, creature feature list. Not as many as, obviously, like, sharks, but they're definitely beating up bees.
1: A bees would be... Now, bees would be a really good one.
0: <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, bees, I mean...
1: Granted, bees in general th- are already kind of a threat, so a lot of people... I guess if you think about movies and, you know, like, uh, the, it... it 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 already has this kind of like horrific type of element to it so how would you work bees into you know
0: <laughs> i think bees wasps uh anything that sort of buzzing stinginess is just pretty horrific i mean we've all been stung by like a bee at some point in our lives so you have that mental uh that mental sort of trauma to work off really and i think just the idea of this and this swarm uh coming at you and i mean yes i mean we when we look at like the bee the killer bee movies and its things like the swarm which is just horrible um <laughs> although wasp i think fair slightly better you got stung in from t- from 2015 which had like large mutant wasps which was uh pretty fun gooey fun
1: ah oh, okay
0: um but yeah there's a lot of tv movies with killer bees like deadly invasion which I remember being really excited for randomly on a Saturday night. But then again, I only had four channels growing up as a kid. So, so that brings us to the end of tonight's episode. Thank you very much, as always, for listening. If you haven't done already, please do hit the like and subscribe button and let us know what your favourite creature features are. You can follow us uh, on Facebook and Twitter, and uh, we're also on Instagram as well. And uh, as I said, make sure you hit the like and subscribe button wherever you happen to be listening to us. You can also check out our full archive episodes at our blog which is moviesintpodcast.wordpress.com as well which has got all previous seven seasons of uh, our show as well as our Friday Film Club where every Friday myself and Kim come together to pick a film each to highlight. Uh, Sometimes it's a theme, sometimes it's not. Either way it's a chance for us to talk about more of the movies that we love. But Kim, where does our history of the Creature Feature take us to next?
1: Yeah, the next place that we're going is going to be 1963, and it's going to be Alfred Hitchcock's The Birds.
0: Yes, Alfred Hitchcock takes a rare diversion into making his own memorable creature feature as uh, he gives us killer birds. Uh, Tapping into his own very real fear of birds, so... But we'll be talking about that, obviously, more on our next episode, uh, so you can join us. But until then, thank you, as always, for listening. Thanks to my coach, Kim. And we will be back next time to talk about Avid Hitchcock's The Birds. But until then, good night.